and it's Exodus chapter 10 uh, from the beginning through to verse 23. It begins the plague of locusts. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his officials, so that I may perform these miraculous signs of mine among them, that you may tell your children and grandchildren how I dealt harshly with the Egyptians and how I have performed my signs among them, and that you may know that I am the Lord. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said to him, This is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, says. How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go, so that they may worship me. If you refuse to let them go, I will bring locusts into your country tomorrow. They will cover the face of the ground so that it cannot be seen. They will devour what little you have left after the hail, including every tree that is growing in your fields. They will fill your houses and those of your officials and all the Egyptians, something neither your fathers nor your forefathers ever seen from the day they settled in this land till now. Then Moses turned and left Pharaoh. Pharaoh's officials said to him, How long will this man be a snare to us? Let the people go, so that they may worship the Lord their God. Do you not yet realize that Egypt is ruined? Then Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh. Go, worship the Lord your God, he said, but just who will be going? Moses answered, We will go with our young and old, with our sons and daughters, and with our flocks and herds, because we are to celebrate a festival to the Lord. Pharaoh said, The Lord be with you, if I let you go, along with your women and children. Clearly you are bent on evil. No, let only the men go and worship the Lord, since that what you have been asking for. Then Moses and Aaron were driven out of Pharaoh's presence. And the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over Egypt, so that locusts will swarm over the land and devour everything growing in the fields, everything left by the hail. So Moses stretched out his staff over Egypt, and the Lord made an east wind blow across the land all that day and all that night. By morning the wind had brought the locusts. They invaded all Egypt and settled down in every area of the country in great numbers. Never before had there been such a plague of locusts, nor will there ever be again. They covered all the ground until it was black. They devoured all that was left after the hail, everything growing in the fields and the fruit on the trees. Nothing green remained on tree or plant in all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh quickly summoned Moses and Aaron and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now forgive my sin once more and pray to the Lord your God to take this deadly plague away from me. Moses then left Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord, and the Lord changed the wind to a very strong west wind, which caught up the locusts and carried them into the Red Sea. Not a locust was left anywhere in Egypt, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let the Israelites go. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand towards the sky, so that darkness will will spread over Egypt, darkness that can be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand towards the sky, and total darkness covered all Egypt for three days. No one could see anyone else or leave his place for three days. Yet all the Israelites had light 
in the places where they lived. This is the word of the Lord. It's the button I was meant to. So, uh, good. Good morning. Thank you very much for your warm welcome this morning. I understand you've been working through Exodus as a church, and uh, this morning brings us to roughly chapter 10, as Jackie read. Um, Just as a little thing at the front, I I always find it very encouraging when I come to churches who are paying serious attention to the Old Testament. Uh, It seems strange, doesn't it? But so the Old Testament forms such a foundation for the new and for the wonderful gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And yet we so quickly seem to, apart from maybe the Psalms, sort of leave it on the side. So I just would uh, commend you and encourage you in your continuing journey through this book. Personally, I believe all God's word speaks to our lives today. Even though it, sometimes it is in ancient languages and it's maybe in ways that we don't easily pick up to start with. But it is there and it is God's way and God's will that we look at that and apply it into our lives. Now, as we looked at the uh, various plagues, I'm assuming you've already done seven, because these two are numbers eight and nine before number ten, which is the last one. And obviously, one, as one looks at the different plagues, one, there are certain themes that come up in a repetitive form, and one could explore those themes. But I'm not doing that this morning, because I thought, well, they've probably been looked at already. So what I've tried to do is look at this passage and say, what's new? What's different? What do these, these, this chapter 10 bring to this picture uh, that is specific and new? And when I read the passage and reread the passage, three things sort of seemed to stand out for me. And what I've done, I've tried to create a little memory jogger for you, and you'll see it on the screens. Witness, worship, and walking. You just go back one, could you, just on the slide there? Um, witness, worship, and walking. Now, I will confess readily that I must admit the last one is a bit of a stretch. Sometimes when one looks for three words with the same letter, it's a bit of a stretch. When I talk about walking, I am really more referring to personal choices, the choices each of us make in our lives of faith. As we come to faith initially, but frankly, every day we are faced, aren't we, with choices. Do we go this way or do we go that? And uh, so there we have free witness, wor- worship and walking. I'm going to trip myself over those in a minute. So we come to the next slide. Uh, let's just think a little bit about witness. And where I got this from is these two verses right at the beginning. The Lord says to Moses, go to Pharaoh. I've hardened his heart, heart of his, his heart and the official, his officials' hearts so that I may perform these miraculous signs of mine among them, that you may tell your children and your grandchildren how harsh I dealt with the Egyptians and how I performed my signs among them, and that you may know that I am the Lord. And the next slide. Now, we would have heard in some of the earlier plagues how quite often Pharaoh hardens his own heart, doesn't it? The word says Pharaoh's heart became harder each time he resisted God's will and God's word, each time he just continued to go his own way and refused to humble himself before the word brought to him by Moses and Aaron. 
But in this verse 1 and 2, we actually see something else. We actually see God also saying that he is also working in some mysterious way in this hardening. And at first glance, we might think, well, that's rather unfair. Poor old Pharaoh, what chance does he have? But I just want to remind you that you have to go back to the beginning and look from chapter 7 through the the different plagues and see that it is fundamentally Pharaoh's sin that is then continuing to, to escalate, as it were, the situation. You remember, Pharaoh would have seen himself as the son of Ra, the sun god, as in the sun in the sky. So here's a man who believes he is divine, a god on earth. There's a lot of people in our world who would sort of say that as well. Not necessarily they puffed up, but they would say, you know, there's no God. You know, I am my own God, my own little God. And this is Pharaoh as he is as well. I think Paul in Romans uh, writes in chapter 8 some words which are helpful in this. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purposes. That's Romans 8, 28. Paul, in those verses, reminds us that God is not ultimately thwarted from working out his plan of salvation even by our sin, our persistent failure. There's a wonderful old hymn, isn't there? God is working his purposes out as year proceeds to year. Just a reminder that God is sovereign over all of his creation and will have his way with us or despite us. So what is God's way in this? Again, just back to that verse 1 and 2. I perform these miraculous signs of mine among them, he says, that you may tell, that you may tell your children and your grandchildren. How many people here have got children and grandchildren? The majority of you. There we go. I do these things so that you may tell your children and your grandchildren. And also, I perform my signs amongst them that you, that's you yourself, may know I am the Lord. There are two basic things in there, aren't there? That you may tell and that you yourself might know. If someone was maybe to ask you what this Exodus story is all about, you might start chatting on about Pharaoh and plagues. But I think that would be a very superficial answer. What this is really about is about the Israelites. It's about God's people and his plans for them. Deuteronomy 7, verse 6, You are a people, holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you, and you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, to be his treasured possession. Treasured possessions. There's, another, there's a psalm somewhere that reads about us being the, 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 the apple of his eye, the centre of his attention. So Exodus very much is that story about God's purposes first and foremost for his people so that they might become witnesses to the world, that they might become witnesses to the living God. Those first two verses remind us that God establishes his people so that 
they might be witnesses to him, becoming a living story, as it were, told from generation to generation. Again in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 11. Fix these words of mine on your heart and in your minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Teach them. Teach them to your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. When you lie down. When you get up. The spirit of those words is as important to us today as they were to Moses in his time. The Exodus plagues of Egypt are not so much about God putting Pharaoh down, although they do humble his very human pride. They're really about God lifting his people up in order that they might continue to tell the story. The story doesn't end with each one of us. We've all heard the story from somebody, yet it is not meant to stop there. We're given it as a gift, a wonderful gift. We're given it as a gift we should also give away. Right up to the present day, God calls his people, as it were, out of Egypt. And as we come to faith by grace, we respond. God saves us, and then we choose to follow with grateful hearts, going on to tell others this wonderful story of grace and faith that we have received. Our salvation is God's initiative. But in love and gratitude, we also might become his witnesses. It's a duty for all Christians, commanded by our Lord Jesus, to share our faith. But not to do so in some legal way, thinking, oh, we've got to because Tim's told me to. But to do so because we are disgraceful. Open-hearted thanksgiving is the motive that tells, takes us out and gets us to tell the story in our own way, of our own experience. It isn't a legal thing. It is purely saying thank you. And as we go to someone else with the gospel of Jesus Christ, we bring the light of Christ. And we've been talking much today about light and darkness. We bring that light of Christ into the darkness of others' lives. And we let that light shine. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. So witness, but also worship. And these two come together, I think. We sometimes are very quick to come uh, to worship, come to together on Sunday. And that is good. Don't get me wrong. But we also um, have to need to recognise, as we witness to the Lord Jesus, it is, in a sense, a sense of worship. Worship is really us giving thanks to God, isn't it? If you think about what worship really means, it's just us praising God for what he's done and who he is. And that's what we do when we share the gospel with someone else. We give give thanks. So let's just think about worship. And and as I read these next verses, I was challenged on this from my own sort of background and experience, and and, uh, I felt I should challenge you as well as a church and uh, so you may or may not you know, see what you think of this. There's a relationship, as I say, between witness and worship. Verse 8. Moses and Aaron were brought back into Pharaoh. Go worship the Lord your God, he says, and just get out of here. And then he thought again, he's going, oh, and who's going to go? And Moses says to him, we will go with our young and with our old. 
We will go with our sons and with our daughters, and we will go with our flocks and our herds. Because we're going to go and celebrate a festival to the Lord. Now, although this is an age of patriarchs where men primarily ordered society and led worship, I think it's very striking that worship was clearly seen as a matter for the whole community, as a matter for the whole family. And actually, interestingly, their possessions as well. They bring what they have before God in worship. They all needed to be there, gathered before the Lord, not there partially, not just the young or the old, not just the sons or the daughters, men or the women, but together. And as I read this, I just got felt, felt challenged by it. I wondered how quickly we can sometimes be in our own church life to segregate out our worship, for very good reasons. You know, we always have good reasons to do things in churches, and, and they are good reasons. But we tend to segregate. It's lovely that you had, obviously, your children in here this morning, first thing, but they are now gone. Um, apart from one, you can go down there. Uh, but, but we sometimes do this for very good and for very sound reasons. Sometimes, if we're honest about it, maybe more for matters of personal convenience as well. Convenience, frankly, for ourselves, rather than considering God's perspective. We call God Father, Father in heaven. For these Hebrews, they go to worship the Lord their God, to celebrate and rejoice before him for days. This wasn't like an hour and a half, for days. And to go separately would have been inadequate. As Moses said, we will go with our young and our old, our sons, our daughters, our flocks and our herds. Why? Because we are to celebrate a festival to the Lord. So just that thought of being sometimes, are we too pragmatic? Do we sometimes bend too soon to our own personal whims and preferences and fail to consider the one to whom we come to worship, the one whom Jesus taught us to say, our Father? Our Father. For any parent, those of you with children and with grandchildren, it's wonderful when you can have them all in the same room with you. Normally, for a while. But the principle's good. And yet we can sometimes, as I say, separate out too quickly. And the other thing to remember is that as we worship together, and that's why it's so important to have the children involved, we are also teaching. We are leading and teaching. We're witnessing to the next generation. When they're not here, they can't see, be part of a community, a witnessing community. We need to also be very mindful that our culture has plenty of benefits in it, but it is a very individualistic culture. And that permeates into our churches. And sometimes we make choices in churches which suit me, but aren't frankly thinking about, you know, where's our Heavenly Father in all this picture? It's just food for thought. It's a little issue. It's it's a challenge. I know it's a very challenging thing for most churches for many good reasons. But I just think this little passage just cautions us and reminds us, I think, more than anything, of the importance of properly, fully inclusive, all-age worship. And if that means we as adults have to step down to allow 
others to come in and be part of such a form of worship, then frankly, shouldn't we be doing just that, rather than just having our own way on every occasion? Our God is a covenant God. He is one who covenants with all of his people as father of one family. And finally, we go witnessing, there's worship there, and you can see some relationship, hopefully, with the two. Um, and I want to come finally to this last point, and, um, which I've got walking. But just think about choices you make as you seek to follow the Lord Jesus. I'm going to use this, illustrate this with the, the ninth plague, which is the plague of darkness, which Jackie read the first part of. Um, and, it's, and I pick on this because it's quite different to the other eight. The first thing I would say is that, uh, in some sense, the dialogue with Pharaoh seems to come to an end. You know, Moses, on all the others, Moses is sent in with, his, with Aaron, and they, they have a, a dialogue, a fairly fruitless dialogue with Pharaoh, but anyway, they go ahead and they do it, and obviously they come out. But here, the dialogue is, is finished. It's almost as though, in the first eight plagues, God is patiently trying to get Pharaoh to properly repent and humble himself. But as it were, the ninth plague comes unannounced and it seems to herald something much more ominous and severe, which is the tenth. I'm just going to read these verses to you. The Lord says to Moses, stretch out your hand towards the sky so that the darkness will spread over Egypt, darkness that can be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand towards the sky and total darkness covered all of Egypt for three days. No one could see any no one sorry, no one could see anyone else or leave his place for three days. Yet all the Israelites had light in the places where they lived. The first eight plagues used things of the earth. I don't know if you noticed that. We have insects in various forms, gnats, flies, and locusts. Mm-hmm. With amphibians, you have the frogs, you have the fouled water, the blood, and you have disease on cattle and finally on people. But the ninth plague is not limited to the earth or its elements, but is cosmic in its significance and its symbolism. It almost seems this last plague offers Pharaoh to come to his senses, a last chance. The earlier plagues were maybe in some way a preamble but now there's a cosmic statement that could be seen directed personally at Pharaoh, remembering he is the, the sun god. So, you know, the Lord has just put out the light for the god, so-called god of the sun. The ninth plague seems to signify the end of God's patience. But Yahweh is no little god of animist and pagan thought, a god of the sun or a god of the rain. He is the cosmic creator of all there is, not just on this earth, but beyond it in the whole of creation, seen and unseen. And it presents a basic choice to Pharaoh, black and white as it were, you know, choose yes or no, choose life or death, but opposites, he's given opposites and he has to choose. Again with Moses back in Deuteronomy, this day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you, But I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life, so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God and listen to his voice and hold fast to him. 
The Bible doesn't tolerate neutral positions forever. Our worldly attempts at times to coexist, to have a foot in both camps, is only for a time. We live lives of faith, lives spent making choices, choosing to live either in God's way or to remain in the darkness of our fallen natures. In relation to the story, we can either be with Moses and the Israelites or we can be with Pharaoh and the Egyptians. But we cannot be with both. The plague of darkness is a final message to Pharaoh and a warning to us to choose, to choose the right way before it is too late to do so. It is God's last unspoken word before the final and tragic plague of the death of the firstborn. Although God is patient, Peter says, not wishing anyone to perish and for everyone to come to repentance, a time comes to us all where a choice has to be made. God offers us the way to life, but he leaves that response, that choice, with us. When we make that initial choice for Jesus Christ, when we come to faith in Christ, it's a major, major milestone, obviously, in our lives of faith. But we go on daily, as you will in the coming week, to make choices for the light or for the dark. Paul writes in Ephesians, you were once in darkness, but now you are light to the Lord, light in the Lord. So, he says, live as children of the light, and find out what pleases the Lord. So there we go, three, witness. We are all called to witness, a witness of gratitude to the grace we have been given. We're all called to worship, and we worship in many ways, and it isn't just about obviously us being present here today. But when we do worship, let us think, about the community, the whole community that comes together before God. And we walk in faith. We step out to start, but we are a people who need to continue to seek to make the right choices, listening and responding to the word of God and walking in the light, not in the dark. So there you have it, three W's. Hopefully they might be of some service to you in the coming week. And just to close, I just was thinking about, obviously, this week we have Halloween, don't we, obviously, on Tuesday night. I see you have an event here as well, which is very encouraging. Halloween, all souls. This is a time where, traditionally, the church fasted and prayed for all souls, souls, actually, of the dead. But actually, all souls, I think, is worth thinking about. The day after all souls is all saints, by the way, when people, the church prayed for those who believed but this is a prayer for the whole world. It's a much bigger prayer in that sense. And um, I was just wondering if we think about Halloween and how we worship in Halloween and how we recognise that witnessing is about, as it were, bringing that light into the darkness. Maybe we could also just think about how we might wish to personally share our faith. Maybe with a soul of any age, and we could just share what it means to us. You know, sharing our faith is not a... Some people do it very well and in wonderful ways. 
But for most of us, it's about, this is what it meant to me. You know, speaking from who we are and our experience with all its successes and failure, right, being very honest about it, but telling the story. And maybe our response to Halloween this year could be also to consciously seek to worship God through witness as we seek to continue to tell the story. Amen. Let us pray. Father, in one sense, I just want to thank you that there's not a person here who's been seeking to follow you in their life, however long and short that is, who can say they've ever done it perfectly. Lord, every single one of us have struggled to make right choices and failed. We've struggled to do things and we've fallen. And yet you are the God of love, you're the loving Father who forever calls us in faithfulness back to yourself in Jesus Christ, who lifts us up and saying, that doesn't matter. Go out, go out again, try again. Love me and serve me again in this world. Lord, may we be such a people, not a perfectionist people, but a people who just love you, adore you, and wish to express something of the gratitude we feel in our hearts to you. Equip us, Lord. Send us into this world. May the story be told on our lips, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.